Yo, take it personal. You're checking out Take It Personal with my band. Yeah, yeah, y'all. Checking out the Take It Personal radio show. Yeah, yeah. It's your boy Farrell Monch. You already know what it is. Right now you're checking out the Take It Personal show. Nothing but the real hip-hop. Hip-hop. The way it should be. Should be. Should be. Yo, what's up? This is Cool Keith, a.k.a. Dr. Octagon, and you're checking out Take It Personal with my DJ 360. DJ 360. Full cypher for that ass. Now, for that now, ass. Now, now I'm cool with my man. Kevlar, Kevlar, Kevlar. And my man. My, 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 my man. My man. They playing nothing but that authentic classical boom bap shit. Check, check them out. Check them out. Check them out. Check it out. This is Marco Polo. Yo, check this out. It's the Soul Brother Number One, Pete Rock. This is DJ Premier. You're live and direct through the speaker. And you're checking out. Take it personal. Take it personal. What up, though? This is Merce. This is Planet Asia Medallion. This is DJ Muslim from Cyber Chill. This is Dell the Funky Homo Sapien. You are checking out Take It Personal. And introducing in this corner, A-A-Rock. The one they call Aaron Wade. Yeah, Aaron chilling Aaron with Wade. my people. And over there, Roger the announcer, that's it. No, no famous, that's it. Roger the announcer. Take It Personal. With my people spinning that fly shit, you heard? Hip-hop, stay winning. Yeah. Here's another interview with Tajay from Souls of Mischief. So we have another spectacular guest on this High Road Tribute show. We have the man Tajay of Souls of Mischief. What up, Taj? Hey, hey, what's happening? This is the first question I've seen to ask everybody, and it's the High Road Day is coming up on the 2nd of September, right? Yep, yep. What does that day mean to you? Oh, man, it's just huge. Uh, I mean, it was a fan-inspired thing. Somebody was like, you know, 9-3, 9-3, that should be High Road Day. And so we threw it first about, uh, I guess, eight years ago now at the block party. And it's just grown from, you know, something simple that we sort of did with our friends. I think Planet Asia was there the first year, you know, grouch, cats like that. And now it's grown into the biggest festival in Oakland, you know, I mean, as far as Oakland produced. And uh, we turned it into a whole weekend this year. So, I mean, with comedy shows, silent disco, we got a 45 session with uh, uh, Dante Ross and Breakbeat Lou and Diamond D. So we got a lot of a lot of good stuff going. So to me, it's just heartwarming to see how something that started off as really uh, our fans inspired has turned into something that's, that's now grown to a whole weekend of activities and probably keep on growing as as time grows. I mean, I'm I'm looking at it like I want it to be like South by Southwest or something, you know, where Hyro Davis Show is just a part of it. You know, the whole weekend we got you know tech tech and uh, you know cannabis stuff and. You know, music stuff and, and, and all kind of panels and stuff. So to me, it's just, it's awesome that something that started in the mind of our fans has grown to something this big. Has it turned into something where the artists now reach out to you and say, hey man, you guys are doing it, doing it big. I want to be a part of that. Put me on next year. Yeah, yeah, it's about 50-50. I mean, you know, if you look at our, our festival lineup, it's not that same generic festival that everybody's throwing. It looks like the Spotify playlist. You know what I'm saying? We got local cats. We got classic dudes. We got people probably who are, who are just now breaking internationally. And we got people who are completely unknown. And, you know, across genres. And, of course, uh, you got to make sure that uh, the representation is, is just sort of a full gamut of hip-hop, not just like what we would be considered like lyrical backpack rap or not just like local open street rap but all, all kind of stuff man so we got everybody this year from you know Benny the Butcher and Conway to you know Spice One to yeah I mean it's, it's, it's nuts I mean the high road it's 30, it's 30 acts so it's, it's, it's crazy you know 
It's an eclectic crew. You even have Yuck Mouth and, and Pete Rock, which I don't think anybody anticipated that. That is a ridiculous collabo. They, yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my arms around that. So, I mean, you think about it like that to me is, is probably the most Hyro Day group. You know what I mean? Like, that <laughs> explains it perfectly. Like, Yuck Mouth with Pete Rock. It's crazy. If you want to know what Hyro Day is about, it's stuff like that. You know, I mean, we got Diamond D coming. We got Boot Camp Click coming, you know, so it's going to be sick. It seems like Oakland had its waves. Like, the 90s Oakland was really riding hard. I mean, it started with maybe Oakland sports. And then uh, and, and I was telling uh, Dell and Domino, like, 91 to 94, I think the Hyrule crew had, like, a crazy dominance in, in you know, in hip-hop. You know, you had, like, the Oakland Athletics. You had the Hyrule crew. And then it seems like in the past, you know, handful of years, Oakland is really, really making a name for itself yet again. Whether it's you know with the the dynasty team of, of the Warriors to the Giants, and, and you guys now with this festival, which is the eighth year, right? That you guys are doing this, so yeah. it's almost like a resurgence of Oakland, if you will, the Bay Area, uh, you know, in music. Yeah, I think in music, but everything, you know, in tech. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, there's so much expansion. Our skyline has been completely changed in the last ten years, as far as expansion. You know, I'm, I'm an architectural designer also, so I'm designing a lot of homes, a lot of buildings coming up. It's like uh, crazy growth, a lot of gentrification too, but a lot of it is actually, I think, good positive growth, and uh, Oakland is growing with it as far as the music scene, et cetera. So I think it's becoming a place where you could come out here and pick up the vibes and sort of create and not kind of be uh, tainted by the industry yet, which is a double-edged sword because we have no industry there either. You got to kind of do it uh, independently, but I mean, too short. And 40 and, and us, we kind of, you know, and even like the Jello offers and, and the Punk Rock Cats kind of blaze the way as far as being able to build your own. And then when you have this tool like the Internet that, that just allows us to contact, you know, everybody on Earth at once, you know, the day your record drops, it's just like uh, the sky's the limit. So we're glad to be part of this resurgence. But we can't, it's not just music. I say it's tech. I mean, you know, it's the cannabis scene. It's it's uh, it's it's uh, the housing Everything's growing, you know. I mean, even though the the, the, the Raiders, the Traders are moving to uh, Vegas and, and the Warriors Raiders. across the bay to San Francisco, you know. I mean, it's it's still. I, I think that moving forward, it's going to be one of the one of the big big cities in the, in the 21st century. It's funny how the Raiders did the whole like sneak sneak thing on like ballers. You know what I mean? It's like they they, they set their agenda up in a TV show. Yeah, I you know. Wish them the best, you know. Fool me once, right? But this, this is the second time they dipped on us. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out my team. I ain't even really even messing with the NFL right now, so it comes at a great time for them to dip. Yeah, because I'm not missing nothing. I hear you. you. Know? Listen, you talk about lifestyle and, and kind of uh, the architecture thing. I mean, you've all, often talked about like scenery being like the fifth member of souls, and I was actually pleasantly surprised to see you like continuing the whole like legacy of Hiro with the concept of you wanting to design that hotel in Panama. I mean, can you let our listeners know what your intentions are with uh, Hibiscus Gardens Hotel, the concept behind it, and like, you know, the project where it's at as of now? Yeah, well, I mean, it's about 19 rooms. You know, I, I bought it functional, so we got 19 rooms in a restaurant. We got our own beach. We got horses. It's down in uh, Santa Catalina and in, in Panama, so it's a, it's, a, it's a nice spot. I've got enough room to expand. I want to start throwing festivals there. 
and I also want to build like a recording studio, a, a sort of art lab that has um, visual arts, pottery, you know, ceramics, etc. And um, make it so it's like, hey, it's an escape for those who want to escape, but for those of us who are creative, it's somewhere where we can go and put records together. I'd love for bands to come out there, stay a month, and leave with some really inspired music because they're in an area that's inspiring. It's your Shangri-La, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's also, I mean, for me, getting out of America has been very important, you know, especially in the recent years, you know what I mean? And, and exposing my children to something different, you know, I just came back out there, I graduated, my, my eldest daughter graduated from college, so I brought my whole family out there, just so they can see, like, look, the reality that, that they're promoting on TV and that we hear about and all these songs and everything is just a slice of it. I mean, you can surf every day and, you know, do culinary stuff and create and paint and lead, you know, jungle expeditions and this kind of things too. So it's, it's something where I want it, I don't want it to be just on some paradise, but like an alternative or a way to go and re, re, recharge and get away from sort of this concrete jungle, but not something where it's just like, hey, come out here, it's paradise all the time. I think... The, the balance is great because there's a lot of work to be done in the urban areas and in the you know in the cities uh, all over Earth. Yeah, and it's, it's work that we have to do. You know, I've, I've got kids, so I mean, it's like, hey, if we don't kick it down high gear soon it's not gonna be much left for them to even inhabit you know? no i hear you and being a stanford guy i wonder where your daughter went to school <laughs> uh, she went to humboldt she went to humboldt um you know she uh she's uh they got a really good art education program so she wants to be an art teacher she's really artistic she actually makes music as well her oh, name cool. is uh, siri and uh she's got her own following she got more social media followers than me shit they know how to do it so <laughs> they're, they're it, in um, it's cool for her to be far away but still close and I think she got a great education there because she was uh, she was able to carve out her own sort of program and also be close enough to home to, to you know still get the Oakland vibes but far enough so that she doesn't have to be feeling like uh, she's stifled by like my legacy or me watching over or anything silly like that you know so you're talking about music so let's bring it back to music so what I want to discuss first things first is uh, when you dropped 93 until one, how old were you? And two, I was 18. You were 18. It came out, I was born in 75. So it, it, when it came out, I recorded when I was 17, but it came out when I was 18. So that's a common theme. It seems like every one of these high road debuts, you guys were around 18. Cash was 18. I think uh, when he wrote it, it was 17. Uh, Dell was, was 17, 18. And you guys were 18 when you dropped uh, 93 Till. So being that young, did you know that this album was going to have such an impact? I don't know how to explain it. We assumed that it would be bigger than it was, right? You know, I mean, when you make records, you're like, oh, this is the biggest thing ever. You know, like, we weren't coming from a, we're going to be sort of 20, 30 years later, like these underground champions and, you know, like underdogs and all that. We assumed it was going to be the biggest thing out, you know? But in that time, hip-hop was not the biggest thing out, so it was big from a hip-hop perspective, right? So, I mean, I'm not saying I expected us to have this sort of longevity because at 18, you don't even understand, you know, you think somebody that's 24 is a dead man, you know? <laughs> um, but but I did think that it would have, uh, it would touch people because when, the, you know, when the track came on, it touched us and we came from the heart. I'm not saying that to say I expected it to be as big as it is now. Like it's, I mean, we were in movies, you know, that have nothing to do necessarily with hip hop in general and commercials and you know, you hop off the plane in other countries and you see Hyro signs on the on the side of the freeway. You ne- you never really expect those small things 
you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's crazy. And, you know, when people come and they name their kids after you, or the fact that, like, everybody in our crowd now is, like, 25, you know, or born in 93. Whoa. Like, you don't even think that that's, uh, that's, that's not the possibilities you think about. You just think about, oh, a lot of people are going to hear my song on the radio. So we did think it was going to be big, though. I don't want to act like we're surprised that it was, that it bubbled how it did. But, you know, when, you, when you're 30 years after... And, you know, we're still headlining our own tours all over Earth, you know, and, and I think a lot of our contemporaries aren't necessarily. It's, it's kind of a, it's a, a great thing. And it's, it's, it's a different kind of validation because it's kind of lets you know that, hey, if you make, if you strive to make sort of a music that, that, that will stand the test of time, that's not fad-based, it's not just about uh, whatever's hot at the moment, then it will have legs that can take you a lot further than, say, some stuff that's just like what's hot right now. Well, first off, that that particular track, 93 Till Infinity, is probably on most people's top 10 of all time of all hip hop. But what most people don't ever talk. Yeah, what most people don't ever talk about. And from my perspective, I was a film major at the time was the video you guys shot for that. I mean, the fact that you guys, you know, used like the Timberland boot to do the wipe on the on on the uh, on the edit to the next scene. I mean, you guys crafted like real precise um, uh, edits and the way you shot the video. I mean, there was some real great film techniques at the time that no one was doing. So, I actually have to give you guys props for that action, for that video, it meant a lot to me, you know, watching that shit, because it was the first video that I felt took the time to scout out location. If you're filming and watching, like, you know, four or five guys running around uh, an area, that just seemed to have a cohesiveness that most videos at that particular time didn't. So, props to that. Yeah, man. Well, I can't take, we can't take the credit for that. That goes out to Michael Lucero, rest in peace. He had the vision. And like we said earlier, you know, the scenery is kind of uh, the fifth member of Souls of Mischief, right? So, we're living in this beautiful state. We were some stoners, you know, or whatever. And we wanted to show people kind of, you know, like we would have to go. It wasn't like now where trees were legal. We would have to go way out to spark a joint up. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. on a long hike or something. So I think it was really cool that Lucero said, hey, well, we're going to we're going to make the scenery be the be the be the center, the focus of this. You know, we're going to get away from the urban sort of gritty stuff and then bring it back to the urban, too, with the cars swinging and, you know, just being in the town, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, I, I personally, I hate videos. I grew up listening to music. Like, I didn't have TV till I was in sixth grade. Right. So I've always been disappointed by videos. Like, I don't like when a song comes on and everybody starts doing the dance that somebody did in the video. To me, they kind of stagnate people's uh, imagination. But for some reason, this worked in the opposite uh way you know it, it, it opened people's minds up to the possibilities and to what's out there and to the beauty that's out there so I'm, I'm really happy that it worked out in that way because I mean I mean if you think about Tajay my franchise I'll be making videos man because I, I definitely would rather you just listen to me and imagine something yourself but I think I'm, I'm gonna move with the times and start doing visuals because a lot of people now don't just listen to music they watch it me personally like I go to concerts and close my eyes you know, so it's a different. I just have a different way of interacting with music. I think you. I think that comes from the type of guy you are. I mean, you're a little more into that, uh, in that place where you just, you know, 
you're cerebral and, and you can do that. And maybe it's drugs. I don't know. But from, <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, you finally got off weed. You're, you're not doing the six and six anymore. Yeah, huh? yeah. I don't even, I don't even blow trees no more, man. It's just you know, it's too much now. It's everywhere. But, uh, I think also just the time that I came up, like I didn't have cable as a kid. You know, my, I, I, you know, I'm, when I hear Ben Rakim, I thought Rakim was like a seven foot tall, you know, super buff guy. The way his voice, you know what I mean? Like, sure. voice. so it's it's just my my. Uh, it's the same with a book. You know how the book is always better than the movie because your imagination is just awesome, right? Everybody's imagination, I think, is very powerful. A lot more powerful than we think. So I'm just. Uh, I think from that era, like I grew up just reading a lot of books and not really seeing things, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I didn't really even go to the movies much as a kid because there weren't a lot of movies for kids, really, you know? I mean, that may be talking about my age, too. Uh, but I don't, you know, I, I don't knock it. I just want to figure out a way to present my music so that it doesn't inhibit people's imagination. I mean, you know, like with the rap noir thing, for instance, I just, you know, I rock in the mask. I try to keep it like a sort of simple black and white palette. So that the stories I'm telling, people can imagine what it is when I'm speaking, rather than me having to show them. Because it's, it's you know, our lyrics are, are, I mean, we speak in sort of double speak and all that kind of stuff. But when we tell stories and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's clear too. I'm just from, I think I'm from an era where we just listen to music. You know, like I've never seen no Santana video. You know what I'm saying? No, or, or no Earth, Wind, and Fire video. I mean, I started, I started seeing Earth, Wind, and Fire videos as an adult. You know, yeah. to me, they both coexist together. But that's you know, that, I was a visual medium guy. You no, know? well, I mean, I, I think it's dope. I think like like for instance, like what Lucero did with 93 to Infinity, we couldn't have done that. That was his vision. And so when when people have that talent and they see something or something in the music speaks to them a certain way, it works. But sometimes it does, or a lot of times it doesn't, or it just falls short when I, you know, like when I see visuals for songs I really love, I'm like, eh, anyway. Well, you guys came out at a very prominent, very important time. And 93 to me is my favorite year in hip hop. And um, I don't want to keep going back to 93, but my point is you've always, you've always been an intricate part of Hyro, especially Souls. And I think after you guys really had, when I say you guys, I mean, and I'm I'm speaking in terms of Hyro, you've had that dominant Uh 91 and say 94 run. Things went a little crazy. I know uh, Cash got dropped. Dell was having. We all got dropped. Dell was having issues with with uh, Electra. You know, you guys, yeah. you guys put out your follow up, your sophomore album, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, Tajay. I mean, I know you got tremendous feedback from the first album, like people losing their minds over it, and then you got this tremendous pressure to deliver on a second right. one. And um, I know I was one that was completely waiting on it, and it, it's a, it's a totally different sound. Uh, what kind of feedback did you get? How did you feel about it? What what did that do for you guys in that whole time period when you dropped the second album? Oh, man, I think uh, when you start and set the bar at a certain level or have people's expectations at a certain level, then uh, it's kind of, you know, you're not trying to make like We're not trying to make 94 or 95 to infinity. Can't remake it. If you listen it. to every Hyrule record, every single Hyrule record is different, like every single one. Mm-hmm. If you listen to Casual's first record, to Casual's current record, his catalog is 10 or whatever, 11 records he has, however, it's different. So our whole, I'm, I'm glad that we switched it up because we set a precedent of people then not knowing what to expect every time we drop. Mm-hmm. 
However, I mean, I, I, I say the record was probably panned to a large extent because people expected us to come with this same thing. But then you got to look at it at that time. Once we came out, hell, the people started sounding like us. You know what I'm saying, though? Like, you look at, I mean, I'm not naming no names. You look at a lot of stuff, though, and hell, the people started sounding like us, copying us one for one. I think if you listen to No Man's Land right now, our second record, I think it aged better than 93 Till. 93 Till sounds like it's from 1993. No Man's wow. Land sounds like it could be out right now. Yo, I mean, that's lyrics, strong I mean, statement. etc. Well, you guys are definitely more mature on it. But I've always wondered if the whole, like, turmoil of the record label, did that play a role in the chemistry or the the direction you guys took for this album? Or did you make this no, album? No, because we didn't know prior? we were in turmoil. Okay. You know, like, we had Jive asking us to make music we didn't want to make, but we didn't know that we were going to be dropped, like, right after they put out the record. We like, man, y'all invested quarter million, you know, whatever in this. You're not just going to drop us. We didn't understand that the business runs, you know, they cut their losses when they feel like it, and we're kind of like pawns. Or, but so it wasn't like turmoil from an internal perspective or from a label versus artist perspective. They just had a certain few songs they wanted us to do or a certain style of music they wanted us to do. And we was like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. We'll do this. You see what I'm saying? Like, we were making money. We were traveling. We didn't have any internal issues. I mean, we're 20 plus years deep. We haven't had any breakups or any you know, weird stuff like that happen. So I don't, I don't think that that had an effect on it. Maybe being in the industry has just a general effect because you're surrounded by the rats and snakes for sure. the most part and that kind of just you know wears on you but I don't you know I, I don't think that record is jaded or you know what I mean though like no, no I, I anti-industry song or you know any of that kind of stuff I didn't know if you made it with, with that weighing on your mind or that came after the fact you know listeners you know us fans we don't know yeah no I think that's perception from outside if it was in that record like if it's quote-unquote darker, as a lot of people say, or something like that. Well, sure. because of the style of the beats we were choosing. It wasn't because of the subject matter. I mean, our first album, we, my mom gets shot. We talking about gangs. We talking about robbing people. You see what I'm saying, though? We're talking about all kind of stuff uh, that, you know, that, that, that was sort of um, on our platter as, as teenagers growing up in Oakland. But the second album, I think it's, if you listen to the, the skits and the, Rhymes and shit. It's a little bit more lighthearted, even though it has a harder, sort of darker sound. Darker sound. But I think the the concept of the turmoil that we we're going through. We I mean, getting dropped from the label is the best thing that could have happened to us. You know, like <laughs> I've, I've made more money this year than I than I did my entire time on the record label. You see what I'm saying? Well, Jive, Jive didn't even know what to do with the record. I think they were like grasping at, like they didn't know what single to go yeah. with. I think. Uh, you had a lot of you had a lot of good music, and I'm not saying that people expected you to make another Illmatic or something like that. It's not fair to compare it to the first album, but you're right; it was very dark, and I think people thought that well, they don't, you know, they didn't know you enough because now you've made more records. Where they, you're right; they're all different. But in retrospect, it's probably like this is not what they anticipated, given the, what you guys were doing for the fr- previous, you know, two or three years before uh, this album yeah no. yeah I mean and, and then also I think sample clearance like sample clearance was kicking everybody's ass around then Jive was people snitching on people about samples calling in about scratches and shit so they were kind of at the forefront for the sample clearance shit 
And so I think we wanted to move away from heavily sampled music as well because it ate up most of our budget on our first record. Sure. You know? Casual sampled uh, Dr. Dre and Where the Fuck You At. That was, that's one of my favorite that's cuts right. off the, that's uh, right. the album, too. We're, we're sitting here, <laughs> Tajay, we're sitting here. Uh, I, I don't think Dre needs the money, though. We're sitting here looking at the catalog, and I can't help but um, grab the Third Eye Vision CD in the heart of the, uh-huh. indie, in, in the, heart of the indie era. And um, when, yeah. I, when I listen to this album, I, I get good feelings about the indie era, and I, I can't help but feel like there was this kind of like you guys circled back and and almost revisited a similar to 93 till sound um it not exactly but kind of like a part two um on the third eye vision did did you guys get a, a vibe like that Nah, nah, man. We tried to. Make, I don't think third eye vision sounds anything like 93. Maybe it's more sample heavy, but now we're indie, you know. So we're not. We're kind of floating over under the radar. I mean, we got popped for a couple samples on there and had to pay some money. But guess what? We had the money to pay for it because we were getting paid for our records. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I think that uh, we had the same cast of characters. We always have the same cast of characters producing this: Casual, mm-hmm. Dale, A Plus, Domino, you know, OPO, etc. And that was just the vibes we were on. So I think. Third Eye Vision just came at a real good time for indie timing, rap. Timing, and, um, timing, and, and and maybe and maybe people feel like it was closer to what they expected. But as far as 93 to Infinity to Third Eye Vision, like where our minds were at, where we were in our lives and shit, were completely different. Like 93 to Infinity, we were kids, like little kids, and and you know, by the time Third Eye Vision came out, we had kids, you know. But it sounded like you guys had more fun making that record too. I agree. That's just what it sounds like, man. Can can I say where I think you guys had the most fun is to me, beat like the not just the B sides, but like the remixes of the singles seems like that was where you guys really were souls or Hyro. I mean, that's where you guys kind of went outside of the box for it. You know, that's the way I looked at it. I, I definitely have some perception. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to, to push back against you. I'm just saying, if that's what it seems like, that's what it seems like. But, I mean, we we make records like we own a building and a studio. We make records all the time. And it's, it's, I don't think the feeling is any different for this one versus that one. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, looking at No Man's Land from the outside and saying, hey, there was label turmoil, that shit came after we recorded the record. You know, we got a bigger budget had fame and we're you know traveling and all that we was happy recording that record same with third eye vision in fact probably with third eye vision we were like yo we just got to record this record that's all we can really do right now we don't have a label we don't have nothing so we're probably in a darker place with regard to finances and life decisions and all that recording third eye vision than 93 till or no man's land you see what i'm saying so i i and, and then with the b-sides it's it's always fun. I mean, we we sit, we've been on tour now for, you know, a couple months and shit, and all we do is just make up rhyme schemes and joke and, you know, take a song concept and all that. Like, it's no different than I could say when we were teenagers from that perspective. It's, I, I think that's sort of people's perception, but it doesn't have anything to do with how our creative process, you know? Well, that's just it from the listener standpoint. I'm glad it feels that way. I'm yeah. glad it feels that way or it felt that way. That's why we ask these questions because I think yeah. we speak for a lot of, li- of the listeners that that's what yeah. resonates when we listen to a No Man's Land or Focus or, or Third Eye Vision. Uh-huh. So 
but what I want to go back to because you you did say every one of your albums kind of sounds different, and you do work with different producers. You work with Prince Paul, you know, you work Adrian Young, excuse me, on um, I think the last album was 2014. There is only now. Yeah, that was like five years ago. And then you had the remix album with uh, Ali Shahid. Uh, Ali Shahid Muhammad. Yeah, so I think those records, like you look at it, there is only now. To me, that captures the sound of the '93 era way more than say of a third eye, the third eye vision. But it was purposeful, you know. I mean, we recorded it on analog, and we had dirty. We there were no samples, but they, they, we dirtied them up, made them sound a certain way, you know. And then even with the Prince Paul, I think that to me was. I'm not gonna say an attempt to sort of recreate '93 Tilt because I think the record is completely different. But an attempt to create the conditions as far as us living all together in a house, waking up every day, and working on music, and not having any distractions as far as family and hustling and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it, I think regardless of the creative process, you know, uh, how can I? Okay, if you think about fashion and style. Style is temporal, right? It has to do with time, right? You know, people wear zoot suits in the 20s and 30s, right? People wear skinny motorcycle jeans and big clunky-ass shoes right now. And it has to do with the time. So I think during each one of those eras, it sort of encapsulates the style that we were on at that time. Uh, but there's always an attempt to make something classic. You know, there's a difference between fashion and style. And I think what we're trying to do is be stylistic without just being fashionable. And I think that shows in each one of the projects. But they, if they're taken separately, I think they all have their own kind of style. But if they're taken as a, uh, a whole or a body of work, you can see sort of that we're trying to create classic style boom bap rap, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. You know, you, you spoke briefly about There Is Only Now album. I feel like you, uh-huh. you guys had like a full circle moment with A Tribe Called Quest, being that they were the group that kind of brought you out on your first tour. And then you guys get yeah. to have Shahid uh, be the narrator on that particular record. I mean, can you go into that and like? You, you said it exactly. Like we were saying, hey, we're making a record in 2013 that needs to sound like it's from 20 years ago. And so, if you hear the way our voices are moving, our interactions, the choruses, the fact that we got Shahid on there, the sort of shout outs to the different songs, like you know, Busta Rhymes, the uh, Womack's Lament, or whatever, it's got the uh, scenario thing going, you know, or just a lot of stuff I think harks back to uh, to to that era that sort of early 90s era and so we're thinking about native tongues thinking about us being seen as the, the west coast native tongues having Buster Rhymes and Shahid on the record from the native tongues us kind of you know rhyming over these jazzy ass beats like people expect us to do but, you know it, it, it was uh, it was like like making it in the time machine but trying to make it current but the whole concept is that that record came it was our second record down there you know what I mean though like yeah. if, if you listen to that one right after um, 93 Till maybe in an alternate universe that's the second album <laughs> yeah strip of the samples but kind of recreating samples from real musicians or real instruments yeah yeah there were no samples on that record actually shit there's zero they're not even the drums and the only computer there was used to look at Vintage polo gear and world star. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say you, you were the one who takes the most risk, but you seem to you, you seem to be more experimental, I should say, than some of the other members. I know you you've worked with Mike Patton, who who's part of my favorite group in, in the eighties, Faith No More, another <laughs> Bay Area group. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? I know Automator was involved, but Mike Mike's a legend. So for you, that had to be really really cool. 
to even come to fruition like that. Yeah, man. Well, Domino and Automator hooked that up, and I really like that because instead of being the front man or instead of being like the main voice, I'm, I get to be the fly on the wall and watch how somebody else who's, who's like a luminary in their field do their thing, and I get kind of get to support that. So that was really cool. I will hope that, you know, there's still time to finish that product and move forward. But, you know, I'm more of a flavor flavor in that, in that, you know, in that, in that mix. But, I mean, that's a great, to me, that's great. Because we look at ourselves like instruments almost. So it's kind of cool to sometimes be the bass or sometimes be the drums or sometimes play guitar or just add some flavor. And I think it was really dope watching his, his, um, his uh, creative process because everybody's creative process is different. Watching Adrian Young cook, watching Shahid cook, watching um, Prince Paul cook, they, they all are masters. And so watching those masters do what they do and then them having a mutual respect and enough to put us down with that too, it's a great feeling. Now, do you feel most comfortable with, you know, your safety blanket, which would be Domino, or do you have a particular vibe with the particular producers you just mentioned? I mean, is there one that you love the process and how they worked? Ooh, I, I would say working with Adrian Young was a revelation in what you can do with music because he was waking up every day creating some brand new music out of his brain. No samples. You know, he was drawing it from maybe some, some classics and things like that that, you know, that he liked or the feel that he wanted. But every day he was working on some stuff. And then by the time the end of the day had come and we had laid our rhymes and he had laid all the tracks, it just was like what began as like an idea the night before had turned into a full-blown like record of its own strength, you know? And that, that to me, that creative process, I never really dealt with anybody who did it live like that. And then he did it to a point where Shahid was doing stuff live, you know, like he inspires others. So I would say that was my favorite thing. But of course, working with the crew is where I feel most comfortable because they know what I want. They know but they want to hear me over and they kind of bring it out of you because there's no um, there's no filter. They can just get on my helmet and be like, oh, come on now. Come a little harder than that, you know? Yeah, and I think being experimental is one thing, but at the end of, at the, end of the day, you know, being inside your comfort zone and what makes you guys so special as souls is what it's all about. And uh, I, I appreciate everything tonight. I know that you're uh, busy. Thank you, man. I appreciate, appreciate the time. It, good luck. Hey, uh, y'all be cool, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right, I'm running here. Be good. But I appreciate it, man. Those are the great questions, too, man. Thank you. Enjoy, no problem. Be good. be good. Peace. All right. Y'all take care. Lessons be sporty, it's mental garbage, like lentil garbage. Nasty, nasty, be the last G from medical text to classmate. Ask me if I had to grip my van, the rips I grab would rip and stab the kids that sad, the shit that's drabbing, flavorless and reckless. Your rest is Thanks for keeping it locked at Take It Personal Radio. While you're here, why don't you check out some merch? 